So it's my honor to introduce John Bergen. And uh, John and Eloise have done many things, but uh, perhaps uh, the real game changer was when they answered God's call in their life to go to Kenya. Because it was when they were serving as missionaries in Kenya that they came face to face with evil. But that wasn't the end of their story. And uh, so their story is one of a God-empowered hope and joy and love and laughter and forgiveness that brings healing. And so just welcome with me, John. And I just want to say a prayer for you. Please do. I need all the fragments. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> oh, God, we thank you so very much for the journey that you have led John and Eloise on. And, and Father, how it is a living testimony for us all to see just what you are as a redeemer, who you are how you transform what the evil one meant for evil, Lord God, how you transform it to something of your glory and for our goodness. And so, Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word, that each one of us as individuals, Lord, we need a unique word from you. And we ask that you would speak it to us now. And Father, I just pray as Paul uh, asked the Ephesians to pray for him. And that, yes. Lord, that you would give John your word. Oh, hallelujah. And that you would um, enable him to open his mouth boldly so that he would be able to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joanne. Well, good morning, Alliance family. Good morning. <laughs> just just checking to see if we're all here. Before I start, I just want to introduce our book again. It's a new printing. It's got some new chapters in it. Off the chart chapters from Kenya. And uh, I, I know you're going to enjoy them. Because there's such beautiful miracles that happen over there that just touch my heart. And tears to my ears. <laughs> and... Uh, so they'll be at the back uh, for you if you would like to pick one up. Well, this morning, I uh, have come to leave you with one truth. Not two or three. Not that you can't remember them, but I remember one better than I can. Yeah, <laughs> if I get mixed up this stuff. And the one truth is simply this, that you and I because of our relationship to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who comes along to activate the potential. We have the potential to turn every disappointing situation into a God appointment. Every disappointment into a God appointment. Many years ago, I remember somebody saying that there are no disappointments to those whose will is lost in the will of God. And I just happen to agree with that because 
When your, li when your life is lost in the will of God, the devil can never, ever have the last word. Ever again. Amen? And that's just such good news. I just came from a 10-day ministry uh, in Nippon, just north of Nippon on Tobin Lake. Wilderness family camp. We left, I left a few brochures at the back in case some of you want to go there and hear Johnny Cash's sister, Joanne, and her husband minister there on the September 1st weekend. And as I ministered to these people every morning, for nine mornings, the people responded. They, they would corral me after the message was over. And they would come up with these horrible, disappointing scenarios in their lives. Broken relationships, one after another. This, it, when I saw the sun, saw, uh, saw the words, the lyrics of the, of the song this morning, one of the last ones you sang, it uh, talked about this brokenness. And that's exactly what was happening there. We have a society that's so broken. So broken, so many disappointing scenarios, relationships, marriage relations, family relations, business, church, people are wounded. And so I, I want to talk to you this morning about how to take those disappointments and turn them into God appointments. <laughs> so in order to do that, I'm going to have to take you with me to, to Africa. Because this morning I'll tell you a few stories so that you, hopefully we can all get some encouragement this morning for the challenges that you people are facing. So uh, Eloise and I arrived there many, quite a number of years ago. And uh, the first, one of the first prayers that I remember praying was, God, what's the message going to be for the nation of Kenya to help me connect? And the Holy Spirit got on it right away. Teach the people how to forgive one another. Forty-two tribes that nursed grudges against each other decade after decade. That seemed to be an appropriate message. So I got to know this one young man. His name was Charles. He had started an orphanage for, orph for orphan children that he found on the streets of Kitali City, where we were based. And... Uh, he told me about this one 12-year-old girl that he found. She was crying on the streets of Katali. And so he went over to see her. Her name was Debbie. And uh, Debbie's story went something like this. Some bad men came to our home. She had traveled about 50 kilometers from the Algon Mountains. Some bad people came to our home, she said. And they started our house on fire. And then with a chainsaw, she said, they killed my daddy and threw his body into the flames. By this time, Mama is running for her life, but they caught up to her and they killed her too. And here she is, 50 kilometers or so by herself from where her home was. And she's just standing there crying. So that's the kind of guy Charles is. He took this girl and made, uh, and took her to his home. And uh, uh, Charles also had a daughter who was 12. Her name was Mercy. And Mercy lived up to her name. <laughs> and started sharing her clothes. And 
they slept in the same bed because there weren't two beds. And, and so Debbie ended up in Charles Orphanage where she met a whole another three dozen friends or so. So Charles became a, a contact point in my life. And one day he said, I want to take you to the village of Mulbane, closer to the Uganda border. And my father-in-law lives there. He's the chief of the village. And he charged me a, a, a huge dowry for his daughter. I mean, cows and goats and, and all of that. It, it took me a long time to put it all together, but he finally uh, allowed me to have his daughter, and so I want to take you there. Well, we arrived there, and he introduced me to Pastor Moses, who was the pastor of a, of a church there. So after the morning message, uh, I invited the people to come forward if they wanted prayer. So they came, and in the lineup was a mother holding a baby. And Pastor Moses said to me, the baby is sick. And the first word that popped into my brain by the Holy Spirit was witchcraft. I said to the lady, are you involved in witchcraft? And she said, no, but my neighbor is a witch doctor. Well, that <laughs> made it real, real easy for me to figure that one out. That guy's been putting curses on this baby so that the mother can't go to church to learn about Jesus. The witch doctor didn't want her to learn about Jesus. And so I just addressed that curse in the name of Jesus. And I sent it back to where it came from. It probably hit the witch doctor right between the eyes. <laughs> and, and then I released the healing power of Jesus to flow into that body, into that little baby. So a few days later, I phoned Pastor Moses and I said, how's the baby that we prayed for? And, the, and Moses said, the baby's fine. <laughs> so you can imagine the joy that, that, that just exploded in my heart to, to learn that Jesus is powerful. He is more powerful than any witch doctor you could ever imagine. And by this time, the witch doctor knew that his power was not the greatest. That there was somebody out there called Jesus who just messed up his curse. So I said to Moses, you've got to get me an appointment with this witch doctor. I want to lead that guy to Jesus so that someday he can be with me in heaven and and so Moses said, I'll do it. But he got back to me on a text message and said, Don, the witch doctor won't see you. You understand why, can't you? <laughs> because I represent, as you do, somebody who is a lot more powerful than any witch doctor. So I said, well, Moses, in that case, it's going to be up to you. You lead him to Jesus and let me know what happens. So the day came when a text message came from Moses. Said, I led the witch doctor. Jesus today. <laughs> and uh, he's having a tough time getting rid of all the witchcraft artifacts that cost him a lot of money. But he finally managed it because his wife encouraged him to do it. I encouraged him to get rid of, get rid of them because they're no use to you from now on. So he did. He destroyed all the artifacts. So that's, uh, that was just such an encouraging thing to see that uh, Moses had really gone to bat and led that witch doctor to Christ. So then Moses was trying to organize a pastor's uh, re, uh, seminar for me so that in, in the area so that he could invite all the pastors and I could have this 
training session with them. And uh, so we, we uh, planned it for the month of August. Uh, this would have been, I think, about May when we were there with him for the first time. And uh, so he, uh, he planned that, uh, that uh, seminar with the pastors. So before we left there that Sunday, that first Sunday that we were in his church, we were all, uh, his team and, and, and Eloise and I and Charles, we were all invited to the chief, uh, to the chief's house for uh, a delicious rice and chicken dinner that his two wives had, uh, had prepared for us. Uh, and so we all went over there. Uh, two wives, yes. Maybe it works better that way. I don't know. Anyway, that's the way it is over there. So we went over to the chief's house. And at this point, Charles informed me he was not yet a Christian. And uh, so as, as we were sitting there in his big living room, <clears throat> all of us, uh, Pastor Moses' team, and, and uh, we were there. And, and so the chief and I are sitting across the, the room from each other. We started talking and visiting. Pretty soon we get on Jesus. That's just how it always works. <laughs> Talk about the most important person in the universe. And I, so I asked the, the chief uh, a question. I said, uh, can I ask you a question? And, I, and like, have you come to the place in your life where, where you think you might want to invite Christ to come into your life? And he said, well, I know my day for that appointment is coming. But I'm just not quite there yet. And uh, so I said to the chief, because I, I, I saw a television hanging on his wall. So I knew that he must be watching all kinds of games and sports from various countries. And so I said to the chief, uh, do you understand American baseball? And he said he did. Well, in that case, you know that, that the batter doesn't have to hit a home run every time he comes up to bat, right? And he understood that. It's okay just, just to go to first base. And I said, coming to Christ is very much like baseball. You don't have to hit a run, home run for Jesus here this morning. It's okay just to go to first base. <laughs> and so I illustrate the first base a prayer might be something like, Jesus, if you're for real, then show yourself to me in such a way that I can relate to you so that I can believe in you. And uh, I said, that's my concept of a first base prayer. I said, would you be willing to, uh, would you be able to pray that prayer? First base prayer? And the chief said, well, yeah, I think I could. I, I think I was being a little deceptive here because I know the verse in the Bible that says, a man is snared by the words of his mouth. I was snaring this man. <laughs> so, so we all prayed the first space prayer together, just for little moral support for the chief, and he prayed it. So at least that Sunday, I got him to first space in the spiritual. And uh, so then, that was that. A few weeks later, Eloise and I went through that rather tragic time there with the gang that came from the city of Italy and uh, tried to kill us with machetes and clubs. And they had a 
professional strangler on, on board, which was choking the life out of me. And then they left me for dead outside, broken arms, broken, mashed and bashed the legs. I couldn't walk. And, and my jaw was broken. My head was gashed open and scalloped and so on. And, and they dragged Eloise out of the tub, as you know the story. I won't go into it. And, uh, but, um, so then we had to be flown back to Calgary for a period of recuperation. So I had to notify Pat. So I had to notify Pastor Moses that the plan, uh, the uh, seminar with the pastors would have to, would have to be postponed. We'll we'll do it sometime when we come back in a year or two. So that's what we did. So uh, disappointment number one is out of the way, and so when the time came a year or two later, Charles and I were on our way back to Modane to do a pastor's conference. It was Saturday morning, and uh, we were driving in a little car that I bought in 2008. And uh, the highway was so full of potholes that I, I was just having to snake my way between the potholes this way and that way and, so I wouldn't take my wheels out. And, and it also had been raining, so the pavement was a bit slippery. And all of a sudden, this Toyota van-type bus is there, almost right in front of me. I had somehow not noticed that thing coming so fast in my direction. And so I sideswiped the bus and damaged the bus and damaged my car. And I thought, oh, God, I'm in trouble again. <laughs> you know, what do I do now? And so make a long story short, I don't want to keep you here all morning. We had to travel back to Catali with a bus that I hit and, and pay the guy up for, for the damages. So that was that. And uh, you can imagine I was a bit, a bit disappointed because this plan involved a lot of pastors, quite a lot of pastors. And it had to be aborted again. And so this is now the second time. So Sunday morning, we try again. The mission base gave us a, a land cruiser and, and a driver who would know the road better than I. And Charles was with me. He knew the way. So we thought, this time, we're going to make it. <laughs> land cruiser, four by four. How can anything go wrong this time? So we approached uh, a certain village. was about a a third of the way to Modane, and the driver began to slow down, as you always have to do, because if you don't, and it, like it was Sunday morning, it was a sunny more, sunny day, and the, village, the, the markets were buzzing and busy on both sides of the highway, so you have to slow down for the villages, otherwise you may hit a cow or a donkey or a goat or a sheep or children or whatever. And then he announced, I have no brakes. This vehicle has no brakes. And 
I thought to myself, what next? What now? So he used the standard gear shift to finally bring it to, to, to a stop. And, and, uh, and by this time, the villagers were around us, waving frantically at us. And I didn't know what their problem was. But when I spilled out my side of the, of the, uh, of the cruiser, I saw immediately what they were concerned about. The back wheel was sticking out from the, from the chassis about this far, held only in place by the axle shaft that was still in the housing. And I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> I was just giving thanks to the Lord that this didn't happen a mile out of time when we were going 50 miles an hour because that would have caused the vehicle to roll over in the ditch maybe several times and, and who knows what would have happened to us. But it, it didn't happen out there. It happened when we're going slow right into the village. So I thought, oh Lord, this is now another interruption, number three. Another disappointment in my plan to go and minister to the pastors in that village of Modeng Sunday morning. So <clears throat> Charles and the driver were phoning back to the mission base for mechanics to come. And so in about half an hour, they arrived. By this time, I'm cruising through the markets, praying in the Holy Spirit. Because I can't allow disappointments to be discouraging. Because if the statement is true that there are no disappointments to those whose will is lost in the will of God, then I would have to find a way to turn this situation around. And so, and so I did. I began to pray in the spirit as I was going through the through the markets and saying, Lord. Who do I evangelize? Obviously, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. May as well get some people saved. Amen? Isn't that what a missionary goes there for? And so the Holy Spirit said, See that old truck with those young men, seven, eight young men in their 20s and 30s, approximately, uh, on the back, on the back truck, uh, a box. And, 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 and the Spirit said, Go join yourself to them, and I'll show you what to do. So I did. I sauntered over that truck with those young men in the back there, just having a great old time. Sunday morning, sunny, a nice sunny day, and the women were all working in the, in the little kiosks. And, and so what do men do? Well, they talk. Isn't that God's order? Men work, and, or women work, and men talk. So I went over there, introduced myself. I was the only white face in the whole village. It's not hard to, uh, to start a conversation when you're the only white man there. So they wanted to know who I was and what I was doing in Kenya. And so pretty soon we're talking about Jesus. And, and another young man comes and stands right beside me. When he heard that we were talking about Jesus, he started talking about Muhammad, the Muslim. Muhammad and Jesus were cousins. That was his point. Six, seven hundred years apart, but nevertheless, first cousins. <laughs> How do you do that? I can't figure that one. But 
I could, I could sense that this thing potentially was going to turn into an argument or a debate. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke again. It's just so important to listen. Always listen to the Spirit of God. Because he knows what he's talking about. He, and the message was, John, don't argue with him. Just tell him the story of how Jesus showed up for you and Eloise miraculously. And so I did. And at one point in my story, um, I pulled my knees, my pant legs up above my knees. Not just so they could see my pretty knees, but so they could see the scars from the machete wounds that were still very, very vivid. They're still there today, 11 years later. And so the guys in the, on the truck box, they all came to the back of the box to, to take a look at this because this told them that I was telling a true story. And from that point on, the Muslim had nothing more to say. I've learned that Muslims convert real easy to Jesus when they see a mirror. And that was the mirror. And so then when I finished, I, I asked them, how many of you would like to receive this Jesus that showed up for me and for Eloise? And a few of the guys left at that point. But there were still five, six men left on the truck. And this Muslim, he, he stayed too. And so I led them all in a prayer to receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. All the while bending my ear to the Muslim to see if he was praying it too. And he was. Here's this Muslim. He's inviting Jesus into his life. Amen. What an exciting twist on a potential disappointment. And so uh, after that was over, I, I said to the guys, now look, I want you to promise me one thing, that you will all find the best pastor in the village and go to church. Let him disciple you so you know, so you can learn how to serve the Lord because it's, it's the greatest life. And, and then they all did. They all promised that they would do exactly that. Find the pastor and then go to church. So then later, as Charles and I were talking, I said, Charles, I want you to promise me one thing, that you will come back to this village, find these men, and, and check on them, and see how they're doing. Find, you know, check up and see if they're finding a, if they found a pastor and a good church, and if they're learning how to, how to walk with God. And they came when Charles texted me back. He said, I went back to the village, and the guys are still all sincere about their commitment. They, they found a pastor. They're going to church. And he said, the converted Muslim is taking the initiative to make sure the guys get to church. Well, praise God. That was a little icing on the cake, wouldn't you say? <laughs> so I thought, God, you've sure got some great ideas about how to turn disappointments around. If we just listen to what you've got to say. So that was that. <clears throat> I went over to the land cruiser, and here the mechanics were relating to that axle. And, but I, I had a, a hunch that 
there would be no parts in this little village. They wouldn't be able to fix it. So I said to Moses, who was the chief driver, uh, the, the, who drove them with, with his half gun, I said, Moses, what's the chance of you driving us to Modin so that we can finish at least some ministry over there as planned? So he said, I'll do it. So we phoned Pastor Moses uh, in Modeng that we've had an accident, but we're still going to come. We had an accident yesterday. We couldn't come. This morning we've had an accident, <laughs> an accident, but we're all away. And so by 1 or one thirty in the afternoon, we arrived only about three, three and a half hours late. Well, the people were still all there. These Africans, they don't go home. If, you, if you're going to come and teach them the word of God, They'll stay and listen to you. That's just a beautiful part about that culture. They, they just, they just know that the word of God is is just too important to miss. And so by one thirty we're there. Well, we did the meeting, and we were invited to the chief's house again after uh, for lunch, and uh, just like the first time. By this time, the chief is already a Christian. Charles told me that that he felt so bad when he heard about how how John and Elway's Bergen were attacked and left for dead and all that, and uh, that he had given his life for Christ after that. That's sort of how I remember the story. So he's now a Christian, invites us to his house, and we enjoyed that time together. After that was over, the chief said, John, Pastor Victor needs a piece of property to build a church on because the little vineyard that he's using is just not big enough. The people are already standing outside, halfway between the church and the street, and there just isn't room for, to grow in that little tiny venue in, in the village. And there is an acre of land just on the outskirts. And Pastor Moses needs that land. I want to go and see it and then make a decision as to whether you can help him or not. Well, the long and the short of that story is we bought him an acre of land. And he and his men built a beautiful building on there that would hold about, I suppose, 200 people. And last December, I had the privilege of going back to Modane and uh, uh, preaching in that new building on that acre that we were able to buy with the help of Canadian generosity. And so this time, the chief and I share the same platform. And he spoke well, and, and I spoke after him. And so we just had this wonderful time together. So now, the witch doctor has come to Christ in, in, in the scheme of things, the chief has come to Christ, and Moses told me about a devil worshiper that that he, that he had also led to Christ. This guy, when he was going through the, the ritual to learn how to become a devil worshiper, something very important about his body inverted into his body, and uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go into it because maybe not acceptable to talk about in public. <laughs> but anyway, this is Africa, folks. I'm from Africa. 
And so I just want you to know that things over there sometimes have a very interesting twist. And so anyway, this devil worshiper has this awful thing going wrong in his body during the ritual. Like, friends, the devil is not our friend. He, he, he is just a defeated enemy. And we just have to realize that. And so <clears throat> this guy didn't know where to go for help. There was no doctor or hospital in the area. And they usually normally can't afford that kind of service anyway. So he, he, had, he, he decided to come to Pastor Moses' church to see if Moses' God could help him. Well, Moses texted me one day, and he said, we had a powerful service this Sunday. He said, this devil worshiper came to church, and we led him to Jesus. <laughs> and then we prayed for him, and Jesus healed this, this, this thing that went so horribly wrong with his body. And he, he went out healed and saved. Brand new child of the Most High God. And uh, so there we have the third major conversion there that happened in Bodain since we were first first had the privilege of going there. Well, I, I don't want to carry this and uh, uh, send this story anymore. Uh, but I, I just want you all to go away this morning realizing, understanding that you have this awesome potential in Christ with this wonderful Holy Spirit who comes along who is so happy and eager to activate all the potential of Christ in you, to turn every bad thing that happens, every disappointment that happens in life, and, and with this potential that the Holy Spirit wants to activate, you can turn all those things around. There were just so many people at the camp, like I said, who had broken relationships one after another, and so we had occasion to believe God together. Turn those disappointments around and to bring about the healing of relationships. Friend, friends, uh, our own marriage was, was, was finished 27 years in when Eloise and I got married in 1964. She was Professor Kinchelow's oldest daughter. Professor Kinchelow was one of my professors at the Bible College when I was studying in Regina for the Alliance Ministry. And so uh, <clears throat> I um, just uh, want you to know that, that God has God has the power to take every one of our disappointments as he did our marriage 47 years in. And I got, I got down before God for about two weeks, still working to pay the bills, but every day my bucket of tears. We're pleading with the Father. To please heal me from all of my negative emotional baggage that I had brought into the marriage covenant. Baggage from my childhood, where my dad made my mother cry and traumatized me again and again 
was just knuckles to my head and broken promises and all of that. It, it was, it was, there was just so much there that I needed to get rid of. And I said, God, you've also got to help me to forgive and bring closure on the, on the, on the journey of forgiveness toward my, my dad and others. So I was in my father's face for about two weeks, pleading for the miracle of emotional healing in me. I woke up to the realization one day that I wasn't angry with anybody, any man. I just, I didn't, and from that point on, I didn't nurse grudges anymore. That's something I had always done in my life, as a youth. Always nursing grudges. If somebody ticked me off, I'd nurse a grudge until I could get even. Just about choked the kid at school one day, and then I, and I forgave him <laughs> for what he did to me. And so that was that. God so overhauled me that because and Valerie's hadn't left yet, she began to she began to notice that I treated her differently. I, I hugged her differently. I, my eyes looked at her. I talked differently. And I didn't ever nurse grudges from that day to this when something picked me off. That was one of the biggest miracles that God did. So it saved our marriage. But what a disappointment to hear my wife saying, I'm leaving. I don't know where you folks are this morning. But I just want to—I just want you to know, this Jesus, who is the head of the church, He's very, very concerned about every single one of us, and He wants to do whatever miracle is required to meet your need, to meet you at your point of need this morning. Father, just thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Thank you that Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can come to the Father through him. So thank you, Lord. You're going to show up for whoever needs you most this morning. Amen. I think this song is supposed to happen about this time. Thank you.